Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, I know that uh, many of you know who I am from emceeing up here the past few weeks, but for those of you who don't, I'll give you a brief introduction, because uh, some of you may be wondering, why is that guy up there? But uh, my name is Jared Ott. Uh, I've been married to Deb for 13 years. We've been at Christ Church for about 14 or 15 years, a long time. Uh, I started working at the youth ministry here uh, way back in the days, uh, when the barn was not where it is now. Uh, since then, gone on to work with Silver Ring Thing, a ministry that started out here, and then have come back to help, uh, more recently, Elizabeth Berry and Pastor Berry with some of the counseling needs here at the church, as that's kind of where my education lies. But uh, it is great to be with you here this morning. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we have been talking um, through the series, Welcome Home. We're now going back to the series we actually started in November, called Who's Got Next? Uh, Investing the Gospel in the Next Generation. And we've been working through the book of 2 Timothy. And what I'd like to do, as Jamie already read this morning, is to talk about this passage, uh, explain it a little bit, and then give some application to it. Namely, the importance of us being healthy, sound, trained gospel center believers, as that is so important for us the church uh, this morning. So before we do that, let me pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, Father. I pray that you use my lips, speak through me. Use my heart, Father, to speak to the hearts of those that are here this morning. Help us to hear the message you want us to hear. In your name, amen. You know, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of, uh, when you hear of like false doctrine or false teaching. Uh, many of you conjure up a lot of images. Maybe it's like the cult or the fanatical churches or the, you know, the kind of the people that are kind of out there a little bit. I know for me, when I think of false teaching, uh, I think of the, the people on the street corner, you know, on the, on the chair yelling things. I remember years ago, 10 years ago or so, I was out in Anaheim, California at a convention. And I remember walking out of the convention center and there was a guy standing on a barrel and he had a white robe on, all ripped up, and he had great big angel wings on the back of him. And he was shouting all kinds of things about the tribulation, the end times, and that he was a prophet sent by God, and that some prophetess was going to come. And if you didn't follow these seven steps that he had laid out in this track, uh, that uh, you know, you'd be part of the group that was annihilated. And I thought, man, that guy is out there. Uh, I didn't take his track. Uh, and I walked away from that thinking, okay, I did my due diligence there. I avoided the false teaching, the faulty doctrine. I'm good. I'm okay. And for some of us, it's easy to think, hey, it's easy to avoid this kind of this false teaching, this, this loose interpretation of the gospel. But as I get older, I realize it's a lot harder to determine, to, to see, to decipher. As some of you know, I'm in a uh, doctoral program at Grace Theological Seminary out uh, near South Bend, Indiana. I have to go out there a few times a year for class, uh, 50 hours of straight lecture. I've got to tell you, after about 40 hours, the mind checks out. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. I don't think it's possible, but... Uh, 50 hours. But my last class dealt with this one issue. It was called the current theological issue. I thought, what is the current theological issue? This was the issue. That false teaching, this subtleness, this is what's killing our churches. It's not the obvious stuff anymore. It's the stuff that churches and pastors are moving away from the scriptures. The people in the church don't understand the word. They're not reading the scriptures. And they're having all these different philosophies and ideas of what is truth. And they're moving away from, from, from sound doctrine. They're moving towards secular wisdom or opinion or loose interpretations of the Bible. And in doing so, they're moving themselves further and further from the foundations of our faith, the deity of Christ, salvation by grace alone, the atonement, the work, the work and life of Christ. And because of these loose interpretations, what's happening too is that they're not condoning, con- con- condemning sin. 
And so you have all these large churches who think, wow, they're healthy, they're big, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in those churches. But people are coming in because they're comfortable. Because there's, we're not condemning sin, they're not working through scripture, and they're not encouraging uh, the scriptures either. One of the things we had to do during this class was we had a list that towards the end of the week. It was about 500 different words and terminologies and all kinds of uh, stuff. And we had to go through and decide, hey, which ones were, were doctrine, things that we're going to hold true, be unashamed to? Which things were just opinions and preferences of the church? Because that's also killing our churches. People don't realize that they fight over these things. They're just opinions and preferences in the church. But if they read their Bible, they would understand that's not scriptural at all. And then which ones were heresy? To use a contemporary illustration, one of the books we had to read was a very popular book that came out a year or so ago by a very prominent evangelical pastor. And he wrote about the end times. And in there, he's talked about heaven and hell. And one of the things he mentioned about heaven is that Jesus didn't say that, uh, that we'd be automatically transformed when we got to heaven, that there might be a transitional period. And that hell, while it's a real place, may not be forever. And he used all kinds of scripture, all kinds of, you know, you know scripture back and forth and, and stories to, to prove his point. And people bought into this book and became one of the best sellers. The problem is, is that if hell isn't forever and there's a pruning period in heaven, then everybody's going to get there anyway. So why even witness? And so he was, being, he was being accused of being a universalist. Those are the subtle truths, but because people didn't know the gospel, people didn't know the Bible, they didn't know the difference. A while back, uh, it was uh, early in the morning, I was uh, on TV, there was a, one of those religious stations, and I saw a guy, nice guy, all dressed up, had a tie, and he was pawning off handkerchiefs that uh, for $50, uh, he would bless it and send it to you. For $100, he would dip it in holy water. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. Where do I, where do I send the check? And he was, he, was, he was quoting scripture from Acts when it says, you know what, Paul, he was so blessed that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were healing the sick. So people are buying into this stuff. But again, if you don't know the scriptures, you don't know the difference. This is just how subtle things start. And in the church, people are arguing over things that aren't scriptural either. Preferences and opinions that if they read the word, they would know they shouldn't be fighting over those things. These are what... C.S. Lugas called jargon. He said, it's jargon. It's stuff in the church. It's this mixed up. It's disunity. But people don't know what's right or wrong anyway. In his in screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis writes, has an older demon give a junior demon named Wormwood the following advice about tempting a certain person who had been assigned to him. He says, my dear Worm- Wormwood, you have been accustomed ever since you were a boy to having, to having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside that person's head. He doesn't think of doct- doctrine as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical. Jargon, dear Worm- Wormwood, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Jargon. This mixed up, what's true, what's scriptural, what are we fighting about? As Christians become less and less familiar with Scripture and sound doctrine, they become easy prey for this jargon. That's why this passage is so important to us this morning. That's why Timothy, Paul's encouraging Timothy, he's saying, hey, stay true to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. Don't forget about the gospel. Run everything through the Scriptures. As we look at this passage, we understand that this is one of Paul's last letters. He's in his martyrdom, right before his martyrdom. He's writing this letter from jail. And one of the last things he's telling Timothy, and we should make note of it, is that, hey, look, 
Timothy, remind them to stay true to the scriptures. To run everything through scripture. Don't lose track, Timothy. So as we look at verse 14, it says, keep reminding the people of these things. Look, we know these things, don't we? We know, hey, you know, false, false teaching, I get it. We should we we got to run through Scripture. I know this. That's why this morning we want to remind you. It's like my kids. I remind them all the time of certain dangers, but I got to keep reminding them. Why? Because as soon as they lose focus, we become easy prey to fall into that jargon, that disunity, these loose interpretations of the Scriptures. Peter says a similar thing in Second um, Peter one when he says, "So I always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have." I think it's right to refresh your memory. As long as, you, as long as I live in the tent of this body. Paul's saying to Timothy, remember, remind them to keep the main things, the main things, everything through Scripture. Things referred to which Paul's been speaking about through this whole chapter. The positive responsibilities to pass on God's truth to others. That's why we've named this series, Investing the Gospel in the Next Generation. What are you leaving to the next generation? What is your legacy? Are they going to look at you and say, you know what, he was kind of loose in his doctrine. He doesn't know really what was right or wrong. He was arguing over opinions. She was arguing over preferences in the church. Or are they going to say, no, they had sound doctrine. They knew their Bible so well. He goes on to say, warn them against quarreling about words. It's no value and only ruins those who listen. The New American Standard Bible translates this as warn them in the presence of God. Why would Paul put that in there, presence of God? God's presence is always there because he wants to remind them of the profound dangers. In the presence of God, remember, you're before God in all this. You need to be diligent in studying your scriptures. Warn them about quarreling over words. It has no value and ruins those who listen. So what's false teaching? It's ruining those who are listening to it. So when we're arguing over preferences, we're arguing over opinions in the church, and people are hearing that, it's driving them away from the church. I remember as a kid, I grew up in New Jersey in this very conservative church, and uh, one of the services, uh, I remember the elders, I was about eight years old, and in the lobby, I remember the elders arguing about the lady that just played the piano, because she was wearing pants. And there was this big debacle about whether she should be wearing pants or a dress, and then whether or not she should be up there at all, She was whether she was worshiping or leading worship, or no, she was just playing the piano. I thought, is this what people argue about in the church? And we kind of laugh at that, but then it's a matter of preference. And as I get older, I thought, there's no way churches, especially our church, would ever argue, quarrel about preferences and opinions, what the music sounds like how the communion crackers taste. Argue over preferences. And if we understood, if we knew our Bibles well enough, we would understand, hey, look, that's not even scriptural. Why are we even arguing about it in the first place? Warn them. Warn them. Notice the word for ruin there is catastrophe, which is the word we get for catastrophe. It's ruining. It's catastrophe for the church. Why? Because it breaks it down. It destroys it. We need to keep focus on the scriptures. It says in verse 15, Do your best, on the other hand, to present yourself as God, as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Unashamed. That's why I love the, the song that Brad and the band played this morning. Unashamed. And we're yelling it. I loved it. It was awesome. We need to be unashamed. Why? Because we know what the truth is. And when tested, we'll know that it'll stand strong, that we're diligent workers. 
We need to be diligent in our workings. Why? Because it will always be brought to light. False teaching will always be brought to light. I remember in high school for our youth group trips, we would, take, uh, we would go to my uh, youth leader's cabin. He had a big cabin out in the woods. And uh, I remember, always remember when I was reading this passage about being diligent. I always remember the talk right before we had to clean the place up about being diligent, being good stewards. And right after that was, okay, now it's time to clean the place. We're like, oh, brother. And I remember my job that one year was to, uh, they said, Jared, I need you to go through all the trash and take out the, anything that can't be burned and throw the rest in the fireplace. Because we had this great big fireplace. And I did not want to do this. <laughs> it was gross, dirty. I am not looking for people's trash. I was in high school. Um, I was the cool kid. So I wasn't going to do this. So I just started chucking stuff into the fireplace, not realizing, realizing that I accidentally threw a bag that had 10 cans of spray paint into the fire. About 10 minutes later, it was all this commotion, and everybody's running out into this main lobby, and there's flaming cans flying out of the fireplace. And I remember so clearly everybody looking over at me, disappointed. I was so embarrassed, so ashamed. It came to light because of my lack of diligence. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. We need to be unashamed. Unashamed. Why is it that the people, the fanaticals, the people that don't know their sound doctrine are the loudest people out there? That's why I love this morning when we were singing, we were loud. We need to be loud. We're unashamed because we know the scriptures. We know it's true, and when tested, it will always be shown to be true. Are you doing your due diligence to be unashamed? Despite condemning sin, despite what people are going to say to you, you're unashamed knowing that, you know what, this is the truth. Paul says this is contrary to be diligent. He says to correctly handle the truth. That word correctly handle comes from the word orthomateo, which means to cut a straight line. Correctly handle the truth means to cut a straight line. My wife does uh, seamstress work, and I know she measures like four times and cuts once. It's about accuracy. It's about accuracy. I am very terrible at accuracy painting. I'm not good with stuff like that. My daughter asked uh, if one of us can paint her nails the other day. She's four. I said, I'll do it. She said, no way, Daddy. You're not straight. You're not accurate. (laughs) Fuck. It's accurately handling the truth. We need to accurately handle it. Revelation 22 says, if anyone talks about anyone who ignores, misrepresents, or misinterprets, or detracts from the God's truth by adding to it or taking away... They have reason to be ashamed. We have to be accurate with the truth, which means we can't, uh, we can't avoid the scriptures either. It's not that we can say, oh, well, there's so much in here, I don't understand it. I'm just going to avoid it altogether and let the pastors tell us what to do. We can't avoid it. I remember I was, um, uh, just a few weeks back, I was in my house, I was working on a big counseling paper, and a friend came over and they said, oh, it's counseling. Just write whatever you want to write. It's all a matter of opinion. And I said, it's not my opinion. I said, if it was my opinion, my counseling point would be a lot faster. It's like, they come in, uh, we want to get a divorce. Does that make you feel good? Yeah, go for it. Next. Oh, you come in. Hey, I have this drinking problem. Does it make you feel good? Yep, go for it. Next. It's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. That's why right after in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All scriptures God breathed useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the men of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything must go through the Bible. It's not a matter of opinion. We also can't misinterpret it. We have to handle it accurately. 
and explaining and trying to justify the conception of his first child out of wedlock, a prominent evangelical leader maintained that the true marriage with his wife began at that time, the time of intimacy, rather than the wedding. And then when asked, the wife was asked how she felt now that the truth came out that they had a child out of wedlock, she goes, well, I feel relieved so much better now because I understand what the verse John eight twenty three says when, when it says the truth shall set you free. So what he's saying, it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. What she's saying, as long as you tell the truth, it's okay. It's misinterpreting the truth. It's not straight. It says, do your best to be approved, one that handles, correctly handles the word of the truth. Verse 16 says, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Paul's not talking here of an idle chit-chat, which can do damage to the church. He's speaking of a destructive heresy that perverts the truth and leads to further ungodliness. Chatter is evil enough, but when it affects people around it, it's like gangrene. It's slow in the church. Are you investing the gospel in the next generation? Are you being sound in your doctrine? Because it leads to more and more ungodliness. Helen Keller said it best when she said, the heresy of this generation becomes the orthodoxy of the next. What you're passing on to the people around you, your children, the people in this church, if we're not sound in our doctrine, if we're loose in our scriptures, it's only going to lead to more interpretations and people are just going to start justifying things that they're doing. And you can see that happening now. That's why we called this sermon, Kill the Gangrene in 2013. Because not only is false teaching, not only ruins those who listens, it leads to shame, but it leads to more ungodliness. It leads to gangrene. It spreads. That's what this class was all about. That's what we're reminding of you this morning. If we're not running through scriptures, that's what kills the church. So we look around and we say, wow, what a bunch of healthy churches. Look how big they are. Look how many people they have. But they're so unhealthy. And people are coming in because, well, I can feel good here because we're not condemning sin. It's kind of your own interpretation and whatever. It says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. Notice Hymenaeus is listed in 1 Timothy 1.20. He has been excommunicated from the church from, from false teaching. It says they departed or wandered from the truth. This idea is, like a, um, is the idea of a bullseye in the Greek. It's the idea of a bullseye. They missed the target. They were off track. And Paul's telling Timothy, make sure you're on track. Make sure you're staying straight. Make sure you're running through, through Scripture. What a bummer to find your name, like these guys, in the book of life, as leaving a bad legacy on the people around them for all time. It says, they said that the resurrection has already taken place. They believe that a person, once they became saved, that's it. That's, that's the resurrection. There's no afterlife at all. The problem is with that is, as Paul says, if the dead in Christ are not rise, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's no afterlife, what's the point? Let's just have fun now. That's what they were doing. Church, we need to be committed to be a gospel-centered believer. So stuff like this, these subtle truths, these misinterpretations of the Bible, don't spread to the people around us. But the good news, it says in verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from righteousness. God's firm foundation, it stands firm. This Bible will always be proved to be true. If we live our lives through the scriptures, it's always the truth. That's why we need to be in the word. The idea of... People know my voice. It's like a sheep 
John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's been said that when sheep are together with different shepherds, as soon as their shepherd walks away and calls for the sheep, the sheep know to follow him. They don't follow the wrong shepherd. They recognize the right voice. It's kind of like a bank teller. When they're training bank tellers, they don't show them all the different counterfeit money. They show them all the correct money, handle the right money, so that when the counterfeit money comes, they'll know it and recognize it when it's there. It's the same thing for us, church. We need to be in the Word, handling this Scripture, reading it, so when this false teaching, this subtleness comes, we'll know that's not the truth, or that's not what we should be arguing about in the church. It's the only way we'll know. Because false teaching is always going to come. It's always going to be out there. We cannot change that. We only can change what we do with it. That's, hey, that's counseling 101. I tell people that all the time. You cannot change what anybody else is going to do around you. You only can change what you do. It's being sound in this, being diligent in this, being unashamed when tested. And if we confess and know the name of the Lord, the scripture says, we must turn away from this wickedness of false teachings because we bear testimony to the conditions of our heart. We need to turn away from it. Not only do we need to be diligent, but we can't keep spreading these lies, these false teachings around us. So what's the application in all this? What's the application? A couple questions I have for you is, are you quarreling over things in the church that are a matter of opinion and preference? Are you quarreling over these things? Things that aren't even in the Bible, aren't even scriptural. It's just a matter of opinion. Are you doing that this morning? Are you ruining the faith of those around you? I know my wife and I have to be careful. Our kids are getting a little older, and sometimes we're caught in that. Or we'll drive away, or we'll leave something in church and go, oh, I wish it was like that. What does that tell our kids? What is that saying to the next generation? Are you doing that this morning? The second question is, do you have a healthy, sound doctrine to pass on to the next generation? Are you doing your due diligence in studying the Word? You know, a lot of people, as the New Year comes about, they'll say, well, I'm going I'm to start becoming, you know, uh, understanding my faith more, and so they'll pick up a book about Christianity. Or they'll start coming to church more and they'll listen to what the pastors say, but they're not reading it themselves. Do you have a healthy, sound doctrine this morning to be able to catch false teaching when it arises, to stop it? Are you leaving a good legacy? When you're reading, are you studying this, the text to say, hey, does this, make, does this make sense in the light of the context? Does it fit together with the other parts of Scripture? Does this piece together a myriad of readings without conflict? That's what you should be asking yourself. I know Jamie talked about this last week. But I encourage you this morning. Many people don't know where to start with that. They think, okay, that's a great idea. I understand. I need to be in the Word. But where do you start? We have reading plans here. It's through the Bible in a year. I encourage you to start there. Those are out in the commons area. And it goes through lists of stuff, passages to read throughout the Bible. Because most people pick this up and go, I don't know where to start in this book. That's the problem. Start here. Start reading it. Start handling it. So when stuff comes and you hear stuff, you can say, you know what, that's doctrine. That's what I want to hold true. That's what, or that's, that's false teaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move away from that. Or when sin comes in life, you can say, you know what, that's not right. That's not a righteous way of living. 
Or when you hear stuff, a matter of opinions or preferences, you can say, you know what, that's just a matter of opinion and preference. That's not really in the scriptures. I encourage you to do that this morning. As the new year rolls about, to be diligent in your study of the scriptures. I leave you with this. Because I know a sermon like this, a passage like this, it's a bit of a downer because it's like, wow, there's, I didn't realize how subtle some of this false teaching is and how it kind of kills the church. It starts small with little ideas and it kind of grows and eventually kills. It sounds like a downer. Uh, it's kind of discouraging. I remember being in that class towards the end of the week, right about the 40th, 45th week, because I know I was checking out right about that time. Um, but we were all feeling that same kind of thing. Like, man, we've got to hold, hold straight to this. How are we going to go in the direction that God wants us to go? How do we stay on course with sound biblical teaching so that we can be diligent, be useful to the master? How do we do that? Because false teaching is everywhere. And it pushes people so in directions that they don't want to go. That's why there's so many other cults going on out there and so many fanatical ideas. It pushes people. And I remember my professor telling us a story about a uh, Navy chaplain And he was encouraging his sailors the same thing. They were down in the cafeteria on a boat, and he was encouraging the same way. He's saying, flee from evil. Flee from evil and stick to what is good. And he's telling his sailors, don't listen to all those those false teachings. Stick to Scripture. And the sailors were saying, oh, but the influence on us as pastor, pastor, those those influences are so strong. They push us so, pastor. So he takes them outside, and they stand on the deck of the boat, and they look across at the coastline, and they see the, sh- the, the sailboats going back and forth across the seas. And he says, and he quotes that famous poem by Ella Wellex. The chaplain says to the sailors, one boat goes east, and one boat goes west. By the self-same winds that blow. It's not the windy gales, but the set of the sails that determine the way that they go. Church, we need to be a church that's sound in doctrine, set on the sails, so when people look at Christ's church, they can say, not a nice building. It's not only they have a lot of people, but man, are they sound in their doctrine. Man, are they straight on their course, despite what's going on around them. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for the fact that your word stands true. Stands the test of time, Father. Help us to be diligent workers, Father. Give us that desire this week, Father, to get into your word, to understand it. To recognize false teaching, to stop the the spread of it here in the church, Father. So that we can be diligent and approved workers by you. In your name.